This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Idea City Podcast. For more information or to watch talks online, go to ideacity.ca or check out the Idea City channel on YouTube. Hello, and welcome to Idea City on the Air. By the end of the next half hour, you'll be inspired and enlightened by the world's biggest ideas, innovations, and breakthroughs as you hear about them in talks from the planet's smartest people. Moses Nimer's three-day annual Idea City conference in Toronto has been called Canada's premier meeting of the minds, and we're glad to have your mind with us. In this episode of Idea City on the Air, Cam Batley speaks about cannabis in Canada post-legalization. Now, let's join Moses as he introduces Cam to the stage. Okay, so here is another old-timer in the business. a guy who's been around from the dawn of this great ascent, a very elegant and very eloquent spokesperson for the industry, Cam Batley. Thanks, Cam. So before he leaves the stage, Moses Zneimer, media innovator, thought leader, and all-around great Canadian. How about some love for our host? My name is Cam Batley. I'm Chief Corporate Officer of Aurora Cannabis, uh, a company that has grown like a what? (laughs) I joined the company three years ago. We had 35 employees, almost all of them in Alberta. We were listed on the Canadian Securities Exchange, the junior exchange in Canada, and we had a market capitalization around $65 million. Three years later, We have 2,800 employees around the world. We're listed on the New York Stock Exchange, and we have a market cap in excess of $10 billion. That's a microcosm. It's one example of what's happened to Canada's cannabis industry. Now, let me tell you a little bit about who I am, because I can tell you I'm just as shocked at what has happened as anybody else. I spent my whole career, until five years ago, in the global biopharmaceutical industry. I'm not the most likely guy to be in the cannabis business. I'm a scout leader for 10 years. I've coached both my kids' soccer teams for 10 years. They call me the squarest guy in the cannabis business. But you won't find anybody more enthusiastic about what we do collectively in this business what we've done as a country, what Canada has done, and about our leadership. And I couldn't be more passionate about what we can do for the world if we get things right. And I'll tell you what I mean. The impact of creating 
a national, properly regulated medical cannabis system in Canada has been astonishing. We now have more than 400,000 Canadians with a prescription from their doctor to use medical cannabis to manage the symptoms of a broad array of health conditions. How broad? The broadest in medicine. Ten years ago, if you had asked a physician anywhere in the world what's the most broadly therapeutically useful substance, 100% of them would have said aspirin, and why not? It has multiple mechanisms of action. You can use it for fever, for pain relief, for anticoagulation. It's a great substance. But today, when you look at the array of conditions for which medical cannabis can help from pain, often displacing opioids, from anxiety, often displacing benzodiazepines, from sleep disturbance, fibromyalgia, bowel disease, multiple sclerosis, epilepsy, and on and on and on. This is the most broadly therapeutically useful substance in medicine. And who's telling that to the world? It's Canada. It's companies like Aurora and Canopy who are running dozens of clinical trials to actually put the science behind what has been known anecdotally for a long time. And we're not just doing it for Canada, we're doing it for the world. We're doing these studies, we're conducting them in multiple countries, we're sharing the data through continuing medical education. We're teaching physicians how to use medical cannabis safely and effectively with patients in countries around the world. How many countries? There are now more than 40 countries around the world that have either created medical cannabis systems or have announced that they're going to do so. That's exciting. It's part of a global megatrend, a rapid shift in society, in law, and in business. And it's incredibly exciting to be on the inside. But it's exciting for Canada, too, because our regulators get great credit. Let's remember our bureaucrats, the Health Canada bureaucrats that created our medical cannabis system and then shaped our starting into consumer legalization. They work hard, they're brilliant, they're available when you need them in the evenings, on their cell phones, on the weekend. They work hard, and I'd like to acknowledge them. They're amazing public servants, Canadian public servants. Now, obviously attitudes have changed with respect to cannabis. The stigma is coming off. When I first got into this business, I wasn't particularly keen to talk about the industry that I was in back in 2014. These days, it is literally the parents of my scouts and soccer players who are coming up to me and asking me, so what's the latest? <laughs> when I first got into this business, a friend of my mom, who hadn't seen me in years, said, you know, what's Cam doing? And my mom said, he's selling marijuana. <laughs> it's a little bit different now. I like to think that mom is prouder of me. Um, but I also, I, I want to let you know that what we're doing with medical cannabis, with consumer legalization, has benefits for the world. It's benefited Canada in an enormous way, but we're setting the pace for everybody else. The U.S. with its chaotic, jumble, and fractured system is not the world leader for now, and I hope we can keep it that way, and I have some thoughts on what we can do that I'll get to in a bit. But the benefits 
of our approach to medical cannabis go beyond helping patients who have not been able to achieve sufficient relief with traditional pharmaceuticals or who couldn't tolerate the side effects. It's brought social changes as well, and we talked about destigmatization. Let's remember that until we legalized cannabis for consumer use a year ago this week, and I, was, I can't believe I was just talking about that right here on this stage a year ago, until we did that, we were still arresting, charging, and convicting an enormous number of Canadians for simple possession of cannabis. A few years ago, it was as many as 15,000 a year. The total number of Canadians charged or convicted with simple non-violent possession who carry that record through their lives is over a half a million. Now, what we had with criminal prohibition was something unhealthy in a couple of ways. We had a law that didn't work. It was an ineffective law. We had millions of Canadians who used cannabis on a regular basis, even though it was criminally prohibited. Okay, ineffective law. What's worse than that? We had a law that was unfairly and unevenly applied. And we all know when a law is unfairly and unevenly applied, who it lands on hard. It was Canadians of color, indigenous Canadians, and low-income Canadians who suffered from criminal prohibition. They're the ones who got charged and convicted. They're the ones who had their housing disrupted and their ability to work and their ability to volunteer even, and certainly their ability to travel. So, when you have a situation with an ineffective law that is unevenly and unfairly applied, what do you do? Thankfully, we're Canadian. And even though it took a long time, we decided that a public policy approach was required. Coming up after the break. And part of our responsibility, I believe, is to make cannabis safe for the world. I want other countries to follow our lead and make medical cannabis available so that people don't have to sneak around. Welcome back to Idea City on the Air. You're listening to Cam Batley speak about cannabis in Canada post legalization. Now, last year on this stage, I said that I think that one of the strengths of Canada and one of the things that will help us reform cannabis laws around the world for both medical patients and ultimately consumers is that we're not known as a wild and crazy country. At the time, I said that Canada is known for maple syrup and hockey and boring. I think today I would add Canada is known for the Raptors. So here's this non-wild and crazy, boring country that's deemed good at public policy, and we're taking that leadership and our model to the world, and it's helping, and we're being listened to. In the past year, um, I've flown something like 400,000 miles around the world, and yes, my green guilt means that I am buying carbon offsets. I feel what we're doing is important, but we're also 
Those of us who are working for and in the Canadian cannabis industry were a little bit like ambassadors. Ambassadors for Canada, ambassadors for cannabis. And part of our responsibility, I believe, is to make cannabis safe for the world. I want other countries to follow our lead and make medical cannabis available so that people don't have to sneak around, so that they don't have to buy a generic baggie of what they don't know from provenance they don't know. I want them to have a legitimate regulated system. I want them to be able to talk about the use of cannabis to manage their symptoms with their doctor. But I also want to see societies take, a, societies take another look at cannabis and take a look at what we've done in Canada. What we've done by taking the criminal prohibition away. Our job's not done yet in Canada. One of the projects that is closest to my heart is cannabis amnesty. Amnesty for those previously charged or convicted of nonviolent possession crimes. And to that end, yeah, yeah, that does deserve. And I'll tell you that amnesty means more even than the federal government has offered. The federal government has offered to move forward with uh, accelerated pardons. That's not good enough. And the reason why is that what we actually need is expungement of records. We need to hit the delete button. We need to make it, yeah. And that's not just good public policy. And bringing these people back into the uh, areas of society where they have not been able to fully participate. It's not just good public policy. I call that social justice. Now, we're doing it. We're taking cannabis to the world. Aurora now operates in 24 countries. It's the largest global footprint of any cannabis company. I'm so proud of that, and I'm so proud of our people. I'm proud of the unique hybrid culture that we've created at Aurora with people, an employee base that looks like Canada by God, which it should. And, and also this unique culture that allows suits like me from mature industries to work intimately together with people who come from the cannabis community. And all along during criminal prohibition were the keepers of the flame of passion and knowledge for the plant. It's a very special thing. Now, we take this to the world. We take our model. We take our public policy. Currently, we're even shipping our products, beautiful Canadian-grown cannabis that's pure and regulated and safe. But we also want to maintain that lead. We've created this lead. We are the ones who are making cannabis safe for the world, but we need to maintain that lead. And there's some things we need to get busy on as a country in order to get there. You don't see any ads for consumer legal cannabis, do you? Our marketing has been severely restricted. For a substance that it has been well established is safer than alcohol on an individual health impact basis and on a societal impact basis. We're not allowed to market with some very few exceptions. We're not even allowed to brand our products beyond a simple brand item and a color on packaging that is way too extensive. And the reason for that 
The reason why it's so restricted, the reason why we can't harmonize the rules around cannabis with beer, wine, and liquor, where we've had regulations and restrictions in place provincially and federally for decades, is because policymakers are afraid to look permissive. They knew it was the right thing to do to legalize cannabis for consumer use, to take away the criminal prohibition, to establish social justice, but they are afraid of seeming permissive. And so they said, okay, we'll legalize it, but we're going to make it super restricted, and we want to make sure that we don't normalize it. Well, if we want Canada's global leadership in cannabis to remain, if we want it to be here when I'm here speaking next year and in 10 years, we've got to let cannabis companies establish strong brands. Because as much as I'm so proud of the innovation at Aurora, where we've invented the world's first 21st century cannabis cultivation technology with mass-scale indoor facilities with a glass roof and the highest production efficiency in the world and no crop loss. I'm proud of that. But after that, companies and global leadership are built on brands. And we need the federal government to take another look at this and to take a look at the science around cannabis versus alcohol and to ask the same question that you would of any other industry. And Canada, Canada's cannabis industry is the fastest growing in this country. Tens of thousands of new jobs, billions in new investment, massive economic development spin-off enhancements for the country, huge innovation, all being driven from here. It's time for companies like ours and Canopy and Supreme to have a chat with the federal government and say, first of all, loosen up, and second of all, Let's do something not typically considered characteristic of Canadians, and be bold. Let's create companies that will last. Let's not lament the next Northern Telecom, or Blackberry, or Bombardier. Let's seize global leadership, and let's, by God, hold on to it. Thank you very much for listening to me. You got them riled up. Good. These Canadians. Are you They're feeling fantastic? Up? I am a little. In fact, I, I want to commend you for bringing up the question of these pardons. Mm -hmm. and, and I'd like to go one step further because I don't know if anybody here is aware, uh, but, but many of the people who were in the uh, informal marijuana business were in it for the best of motives. And they, by various kinds of laws and regulations, are now being prohibited from even applying for legitimate and legal ways in which to pursue. In the retail systems and so on? Yes. That's okay for now, because they can all come work at Aurora. All right. Well, I'm sure they'd appreciate knowing that. Yeah, but, but you're right. We is... have to clean it up. We have to let the people... Why would we put up a stop sign and say, you know, you who were right all along, and all we right. finally acknowledged it as a country, yeah. no room for you. We're going to penalize you. Let's and I'll tell you, there in. is a further irony not entirely tasteful, in which former police officers yes. and senior government officials who were directly involved in hunting people down mm -hmm. and throwing them in jail in their thousands are now sitting on boards and collecting millions for nothing. Well, yeah. You know what I'd like to hear from those individuals? You know what I'd just like to hear? A simple apology. I've done it. Um, I looked at cannabis wrong. And uh, 
I've learned, I've been schooled by people from the culture, and it's easy to say I'm sorry, and redemption is a lovely concept, so I'd love those people to just say I'm sorry I was wrong in the past. That would be good, and congratulations to you. Thank you. And to Aurora. Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, oh. Okay, okay. Oh, let me Thanks for listening to Idea City on the Air. Catch Moses Neimer's Idea City Conference live every June in Toronto or on regularly scheduled radio and TV shows throughout the year. And find hundreds of talks online every day at ideacity.ca. For more information about Idea City, find us online at ideacity.ca, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or youtube.com slash ideacity. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.